we're just going to kind of slowly ease into it. Uh, Jen, in the meantime, is going to entertain us with her melodious uh, <laughs> voice, <laughs> reading our the intro. Hi everyone, so I'm starting out with the beginning of this book, Adulting 101, and I have a section at the beginning that says how to read this book, because I think all of us are too tired to read a book front to back these days, so this is an easy um, guide. If you have a look, you'll be able to see the little blue pages that give you the cheat sheet for each section so you can tell whether you want to read it or not, um, but this is a book about being grown up. For many of us, being a bona fide adult felt like a much better idea when we weren't one yet. I know for me, definitely right now. I remember when I was growing up, I thought it was going to be the best thing to be an adult. No more asking anyone for lifts or money or having anyone else decide what I do with my time. I'd eat whatever I wanted and still feel great and healthy and energetic. My life would be like one of those series where your friends just lived across the corridor or maybe even lived with you and we'd all have fun together every day. I knew I might not have lots of money, but I figured I'd have enough for the things that I wanted to do and probably the things I wanted to eat, mostly chocolate these days. <laughs> I'd date interesting people and our breakups would be an unmessy relief. My career would be fantastic and fulfilling. I'd love going to work. And if I had a boss, she'd be fantastic, etc. That was the dream. The truth is that sometimes, often, it's much harder to be an adult. It involves making endless decisions every single day. It's expensive, and sometimes you get lucky enough to live with your friends, but those friends don't know how to cook or leave their dishes everywhere or make sounds when they chew that make you want to kill them. Um, <laughs> so you have to navigate mostly dodgy expectations of what work is going to be like, what your relationships will be like, and how to deal with your parents, what sex will be like, and how you manage your money and your finances. Most people only tell you the stories that those ideas you had were myths when you failed already and you want to scream, why did nobody tell me this if everyone knew this already? There's plenty that they can't teach you at school. I think most of us did a life orientation course. I know we had like careers day and <laughs> just taught us how to be like quite random things. And they probably can't teach you what you need to know. You learn a lot about fungus and rock types and not enough about how to say no when you don't want to have sex or how to say I want to raise or how to ask for a better job condition. So this is a book that tells you the things that I know already that I've learned in the 20 years since I finished school. Just before this webinar, I got added to my 20-year high school reunion WhatsApp group. So it felt very real that um, someone might be reading this on the year that they leave school when I'm so far ahead. And I've learned these things only really by research, by messing up, by making plenty of mistakes. So I hope that it's a book that can help people to skip some of the mistakes that I made and probably spend less money on making them. And um, so I started the, the book navigates from the inside out. I start with you, how to take care of your health, your relationships, how to find some way to live um, and how to manage your money, talking about sex. And then I talk about the biggest stuff that we have to deal with, like how does the government work and why we should be an active citizen, what's going on with climate change, why we should eat less meat, that type of stuff and how to deal with crime. And at the end, there's lots of extra resources because obviously I could have gone on forever. I love research. That's my other job. So I could have put in everything. But it's a light guide and I hope that it finds uh, its space in your home as something that's comforting because I think a key thing of being an adult, especially in my life, is just to say, oh, you really effed that up. So forgive yourself, move on and do better. Yeah, welcome everybody. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Chan. <laughs> great. So with that, I think that's a, it's a great way to get into this. Uh, hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are here, as you heard, to discuss Jen Thorpe's brilliant new book, Adulting 101. It is the guide that you always wish that you had about how to navigate the tricky terrain of adulthood. It covers everything from, as she said, from taxes to staying healthy to what to say to a friend whose parent has just died and basically all the other skills that you need to be a functioning adult in the world today. Yeah, you can find it at all exclusive books stores. You can also find it on their website. And I think wherever you're seeing this, there should be a link so you can go buy it right now. You, you, you've heard all you need, basically. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so Jen and I are going to be having a quick chat for half an hour, um, and then we will be uh, taking your questions. So if you have any questions, please post them in the Q&A tab, uh, not in the general chats, just so that I can make sure that I definitely don't miss any questions. Uh, but go ahead, any questions you want to ask Jen. Okay, so just to kind of give you a bit of introduction, Jen Thorpe is one of 
you know, personally one of my South African literary heroes. Uh, she's a feminist writer and a researcher. She's published two absolutely wild novels, uh, The Peculiars and The Fall. And I believe that there's a sequel in the works to <laughs> The Fall, which is very exciting. Um, she's also published two children's books and she's edited three collections of feminist essays. She has a master's in politics for a thesis on raunch culture and feminism. What a great topic. Uh, and because she's an overachiever, she also has a second master's in creative writing from UCT. And I happen to know that she also is able to wrap all of the words to Iggy Azalea's I'm so fancy. <laughs> it's maybe the most important thing you need to know about her. Um, now, Jen, Adulting 101 is it's definitely the book that I wish that I'd gotten on my 21st birthday as a gift. Uh, it might have helped me avoid some of my more exciting mistakes of my 20s. But even now, as someone who's well into my 30s, there were many, many passages that I found myself underlining and making notes on. Uh, it's just crammed full of all of this practical wisdom. So tell me what moved you to write the book now? Like, what was the moment that made you feel like right now, this is the point in my life where I need to package up this wisdom and put it down on paper? I mean, it's a classic adulting moment. It's the middle of a global pandemic, being confined to the little flat that we were living in. And I was hanging out the laundry in the middle of the day in between meetings and trying to you know, live my life and run things. And I just thought like, wow, we really have had to survive a lot the last two years. We've had to be separated from everyone we love. We've had to try to understand global politics and medicines and vaccines and all this type of stuff. And no one is telling us how to do this. And I mean, it's quite clear from the many, many mistakes that have been made by governments all around the world and leaders that no one was telling anyone how to do this, that there's so much about being an adult that you just you have to learn by making mistakes and by trying at first time. So I just thought how comforting it would have been, you know, to read something that said, okay, you know, whilst this chaos is going on globally, here are a few things that you can do to feel a little bit more in control and a little bit less uncertain. So definitely it was a sense of overwhelming world chaos that made mm. me, okay, we need some help here. What do I know a little bit about and what can I research? And so I got started. It was a very, I literally came back upstairs from the laundry line and emailed Naima, my um, publisher, and said, I have this idea. Do you think it could work? And she was like, write it, write it right now. <laughs> so it was really suspicious, yeah. I love that, that it came from an impulse to help, to be helpful yeah. in a time when things felt overwhelming, as opposed to now when everything in the world feels very <laughs> calm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> super easy. Um, so Jen, you spoke about how the book, uh, a lot of the wisdom in the book was quite hard earned, like you had to earn it through making all the mistakes. Uh, so tell us what kind of young adult you were. <laughs> Well, I'm, my mom's on this panel, so I can't even lie, on the webinar, so I can't even lie, but uh, I, I'm very headstrong and independent, and I don't like asking for help, which is why I make so many mistakes. Um, I, I went to university, and I was at boarding school during high school. I was a person who thought, like, let me forge my own way, and when I got to university, I realized, wow, things are super expensive, and I don't know how to manage my money, and I don't know how to find a place to live, and so I... We know my friends and I lived in some very dodgy digs in Grahamstown or Makanda now. Um, and we, we bought weird food and we slept really poorly and we drank way too much at that time. And, you know, we didn't always know how to say sorry when we'd had a disagreement. I mean, I have a very good friend who I lived with in digs and it definitely <laughs> broke up our friendship because we were so different. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm definitely like, I think I was a person who fiercely believed in in things like feminism and women's rights. And I was angry a lot of the time because I didn't know how to stop when I was, you know, trying to do activist change making stuff. And so mm -hmm. I got very burnt out as well as a young adult. Um, and, you know, as I've gotten older, I've learned to, to sort of manage those things a bit better and to do a little bit of research before I sign on to somewhere and, you know, test out a house before I live in it and those types of things. Let's talk about burnout. Uh, one of the one of the most powerful sections in the book I found was the section on stress. Um, and you cite a lot of research about the fact that uh, you know the, the the rates of people who young people who report that they're very anxious and they're really stuff, suffering from stress are, are higher and higher every year. Um, what are some of your thoughts that you you tried to bring in when you were writing that section where you're, you're kind of balancing these big forces and the fact that, you know, it's this big sort of 
cultural change that's happening with here are some very practical things that you can do to help yourself. Yeah, I think the most important thing to understand about stress is that um, a lot of it is external. It comes to us from the outside world, but a lot of it is also internal and can be managed by small things that we can do each day. So stress actually starts in your gut. Sometimes if you're not eating well, your body can't produce serotonin, which means you can't manage your stress. If you're not breathing well, you can't deactivate your sympathetic nervous system. So you're always in fight or flight mode and you literally are, your body is convinced that you are fighting fire all the time. It doesn't know how to tell the difference between thinking about something stressful and actually living through it. So if we constantly ruminating and churning these horrible things that are happening in the world, our body thinks that we're dealing with them. And so, um, what I thought would be useful was to look at things like breathing practices, things that cost no money at all. So that is, was important for me because I was a very broke young adult. Um, and, you know, if someone had said to me, you can feel better and less stressed about your exams or about, you know, your relationships or work or studying just by taking a few deep breaths that cost you no money at all or by going to bed a little bit earlier <laughs> or, you know, enough. Um, these are things that you can do. So, I started with the body because I think you experience stress in your body. I know for me, I sit like this when I'm stressed. I clench my stomach, my stomach gets a mess. And mm. um, these are all things that you can manage by doing something simple, like trying to go to bed a little bit earlier, getting off your phone before bedtime, taking a few deep breaths, meditating, you know, going for a walk and, and exercising your body. So mm. I think, you know, it would be great if all of us who had mental health issues or who were suffering from stress or anxiety could afford to see a therapist. But the reality is that most of us can't mm -hmm. and that there aren't enough therapists for all of us who need them. So if you start with yourself, and, and I'm not at all saying that if you have a serious mental health condition, you know, just take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. But if you can do that as well as seeking the help that you need, you can really take control of or just feel a little bit less overwhelmed by what's happening outside. Mm. One of the one of the you know really protective things we all know for our mental health is the quality of our relationships as well. And you have this section on uh, relationships, which I which I loved because it was so broad. Uh, you've got subsections when you talk about friendship, and you mentioned just now you know this thing about how to actually apologize, which I which I definitely want to dig into. I also think you should maybe photostat that and send it to every politician <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, you, but you cover friendship. Um, you cover romantic relationships, but you also cover something that I, that I hadn't seen anyone really talk about before, how to have an adult relationship with your parents and how mm. that relationship changes. So, I mean, maybe this is a bit of a difficult question to ask because your own <laughs> mum is here, <laughs> but what are some things that you've learned about, about that process of, of changing your relationship with your parents as you get older? I think it's really easy to believe that, you know, your parents are these fully formed human beings. Like we treat our close friends as if they're like going through stuff and we treat them gently when they're having a hard day. And when they react weirdly to us, we give them the space to ask a question or like for us to say, you know, is everything all right? You did something that was kind of odd. But when it's your parent, you expect them to be 100% on all of the time and to have their shit together and not giving them any grace to say, you know, they probably their parents were a bit odd and did weird stuff. And so they've inherited some of that. And so what I talk about as a, you know, a way to sort of develop healthier relationships with your parents is compassion and boundaries. So compassion mm -hmm. being you are going to feel irritated by something that your parents done and your parent at times may do the very best they can. And that also may not be enough for you. Um, so you need compassion for yourself for those feelings of frustration or, you know, maybe they're just not as woke as you would like them to be and or they're in some weird Facebook group and you can't get them out of it. Just to say, okay, all of us are unfully formed humans. We've been through stuff in our life that has affected the way we're able to relate, whether or not we're able to say sorry or ask for help. I'm very bad at this. My mom knows this. I declare this. And, you know, the, all of those things are things that we need to be gentle about instead of feeling frustrated. So um, I cite a really cool, cool passage from the School of Life, which is a YouTube channel I recommend everybody go and check out right now. Um, and it just says like, wouldn't it be nice if we stopped trying to make our relationship with our parents something that it's not? And instead we found things that we enjoyed doing together and focused on the things that made us feel peaceful. So that's about compassion. It's just letting go of the parent that you wish you had, letting go of the daughter or the, ch or the child that you wish you were, and just being real about what's happening. And then 
boundaries is, are really important as we're different people from our parents. You know, some of us might want to spend more time together. Some of us might want to spend less time together. And just being able to set sort of a healthy boundary, being like, you know, mom and dad, this is the way that I'd like things to go. They might not respect it initially. They might, you know, resist because it, the, the way that they want to spend time is different. But, but just saying, this is how I like to do things. And if you're honest and you, you know, not to be Brene Brown here, but be vulnerable and say, this is how it makes me feel when X, Y, Z, then often there's space for, for a better relationship. There are many people whose parents are just terrible and who, and sometimes having less of a relationship with your parents might be necessary. And that's also fine. So that's also back to compassion for yourself for letting go of the parents you wish you had. Yeah. Mm. So speaking about boundaries, one of the very practical things that I took away from the book, like one of the changes I've already implemented in my life is the idea of the happier email policy. I think you, you call it. Um, I was, I read about this. It was honestly a revelation immediately went and it put it into action. So please tell everyone else listening to this about that idea and how it's, it's helped your life. Yeah. I mean, I read a really scary, I, mean, I was on Instagram in the middle of the night breastfeeding my child <laughs> and I read a really scary stat that said most of us spend like up to four hours a day on our phone, which is 60 full days a year. And a lot of that time is spent checking email, which is not necessarily like we've created this weird culture where you have to be constantly on email, constantly replying to work, even when it's not in your work hours or just being online at all times available. And I started to, uh, as I said, I had burnout. I've had it more than once, clearly slow learner over here. And one of the things that I thought is that sense of having to be always available for people isn't really healthy to me. So what I did was I set up a little email auto response on my Gmail that just says, I'm only going to check emails from 9 to 11 in the morning or 9 to 12. At the moment, it's <laughs> 9 to nothing. So. <laughs> but, um, I'm only going to check emails during these time. If it's urgent, please call me. But otherwise, you can just expect a delay in my response. I don't also have email on my telephone anymore. Um, I don't have the Gmail app. I don't have any of those things because the notifications interrupt your day and they take you out of the life that you're supposed to be living, the, the life that you're working to live um, and put you back into a work life. And I don't believe, I think there's, a, I can't remember which country, but recently uh, pass a law called the right to rest where companies aren't allowed to contact people after certain hours and I truly truly believe that that's important for your mental health so I have that email policy and I also have um during COVID I was working with the World Bank and one of the people there had an autoresponder that just said please don't feel like you have to reply to this right now the, mm. the the importance of the people you're caring for and yourself come first and I was like what a revelation <laughs> like Beautiful. this is just the best thing that you can put on your email because it says to the person I'm not urgently asking you for something. A lot mm. of us want to help and we want to do better. And if we're passionate about our work, we want to show up. So we don't mind to send the mail. But just sending that also gives you a chance to be like, do I need to stop what I'm doing right now and respond? Or could I do this tomorrow? And almost always you can do it tomorrow. Otherwise, they would have phoned you or showed up at your door. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been the greatest thing. I mean, it's like a, a few people have gotten a bit pissed off about it. <laughs> really? Yeah. My, I was helping with my sister's wedding and someone, because it's an auto response, I think they thought I was mailing them and they got a bit bleak about it. But if you just explain what it, what it does, so many people have emailed me back after getting my auto response saying, I'm doing this, I'm stopping replying at all hours. And it's so helpful. And no it's one so minds. Angry. Everyone's just stoked to get a break themselves. Yeah. And I think it's also this thing about, you know, bringing your whole self to work. You talk about bringing compassion to your, your relationships outside, but I think also understanding that, you know, work is also made out of humans and yeah. they're messy and flawed and have needs. <laughs> so I want to talk about work actually, because um, in the book, you mention a, a lot of the bullshit jobs you had in your twenties. <laughs> um, tell me about some of them and, and what lessons you learned from those terrible, terrible experiences. I mean, guys, I literally worked as a person who sprays perfume on people at the V&A waterfront in the Edgars. I, I worked and I wrote SEO articles that included writing an article about used car auctions in Queensland, Australia. I've never even been to Queensland, Australia, and <laughs> I've never been to a used car auction. But it was a job that I needed to pay the bills when I graduated from um, with my master's in politics. It took me like nearly a year to find a job afterwards. It's kind of vague what you can do with a politics degree. Um, I did things like working at a restaurant uh, as, a, as a host where you show people to the table and then someone else serves them. All of these jobs made me think 
Um, so they were based mostly just for money, which is why I think one of the other things I talk about is pay transparency and how important it is. Mm-hmm. Taking a job for money is obviously a necessity for many of us. Um, as someone who's currently a freelancer and is on unpaid maternity leave, like I, I'm fully aware that many of us have to take a bullshit crappy job because we need to pay the bills. But I think if you can learn a little bit like, you know, one of the things I learned being a hostess was how to calm someone down if they're already flustered. And, you know, how can I take that on? When I was doing that bullshit SEO writing, I learned how to write really fast because I was like, I'm not wasting my whole week writing this nonsense. I'm going to quickly turn these articles out so that I can get the life that I want to live down. Spraying perfume taught me nothing except that some perfumes smell disgusting. And I, was, I, think I learned <laughs> something about the notes of different fragrances, but I've completely forgotten them. But it did also teach me about reading people's body language as they, mm. you know, when to approach someone and when not to approach someone. There's something to learn in every crappy job, even if it is just that you don't want to be in a crappy job. Um, and one of the things I say in the book is about how to leave a job that you don't want to be in anymore and how important it is to just be your best self, even if the work conditions are terrible, because you never know how you might meet those people again. They might be a connection in the future. Mm. Yeah. So stuff, every crappy job that I had, I worked at an ocean basket as well. I used to get in the car and my mom would roll, roll down the window because I smelled so bad. Of oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> worked in every type of restaurants and all of those to teach you about people and how to how to turn, like bring down a level of anxiety that can happen and how to communicate through a, tr- a troubled time and all of those things yeah mm, that that chapter definitely it also brought back a lot of stuff about that experience of being in your your young adult years I think there's also like something I remember feeling a lot was really being in a hurry you know yeah. and feeling very disappointed by my first early jobs because I'd had such big dreams for my life and then it's just your first jobs are never gonna match your expectations but it was a helpful kind of hearing you know what you're saying now about you know all of these things kind of you took something from them even if it was only clarity about what not to do <laughs> and also, I mean some of the early like more realer jobs being a researcher like a volunteer or working with NGOs and stuff taught me that you you leave university or school and you think everyone is really adult like same like when you're young adults are adults they know everything and then you get into your first workplace and you're like no one knows what the if they are doing here everyone is just making their way through some people aren't able to perform because they've got personal stuff going on and just like learning about how to work with people mm. in general is very valuable and how to manage different personality types as well So that thing about learning, that's something that you've mentioned a couple of times. And I mean, one of the things that's really striking about the book is how broad it is. Like you cover such different topics. Um, I I happen to know that you also know other, you know, very useful skills, like the fact that you can uh, complete a Rubik's cube in what? How many minutes? Five minutes? Quite consistently. So you're obviously (laughs) very good at learning new things and you're very good at research. How did that look in when you were putting this book together? How what what was your process? Yeah, it was mostly a process of narrowing things down. So when I sat down to when I was at the laundry line, I was like, what sort of things do we all have to navigate? We all have to navigate how to take care of our health. That's like the number one thing in a global pandemic that I was thinking about. We all have to know how to be in a relationship with people. We have to find somewhere to live. And so when I had made those lists, I sort of drew lines off like, what do you actually need to know about all of these things? I could have gone on endlessly. Unfortunately, I have a very bad habit of over-researching and then having to narrow down and narrow down. And that was the case with um, adulting. Mm. I say thank you at this point to my publisher, Naima, because I was trying to write this book <laughs> in my first trimester of pregnancy and I had no energy. And she was very gracious with allowing me extra time, which unfortunately made me research more and more, <laughs> <laughs> even more. But I'm a person who reads. I love books. I love literature. And so I had some of these ideas were things that I had read. Um, And that's, I think, in some ways, adulting is almost like a summary of the really good books Mm -hmm. that I think you should read. There's a a mention of most of them in the reference list because Mm -hmm. I believe that it's important for people to to tackle issues like that. If there's an expert, why not read it and see if you agree or don't agree? Um, When it came to stuff like the misinformation or the climate change and crisis, then I really did try to find expert sources because I'm a researcher in gender. I write mostly about women's rights and LGBT rights. I don't really write about fake news or misinformation, even though it hugely affects the work that I do. And so I I try to find the right sources, which is obviously a hugely important thing to know Mm -hmm. as World War III is happening, as the pandemic. (laughs) 
continues. Um, more and more yeah. relevant every day. Yeah. <laughs> so just a reminder, everyone, that in a couple of minutes, I'm going to turn the questions over to you. So if you have any questions you would like to ask Jen, please go and post them in the Q&A. Um, you can also, if you're on the Facebook, um, I think you can also post them in the comments. Uh, so yeah, if you have any questions, please do start posting them. Um, so Jen, uh, so you mentioned you read a lot of things, researched a lot of things. Obviously, you go into, you know, these quite profound uh, things that you unpack. But I also am interested in some of your quick pro tips that you you found. What were some of your favorite, like, easy to communicate things that you think just all 20-somethings should get told? Handy life pro hacks. Number one is find out who Africa Tech is and go to their website. If you get forwarded something, if someone in your family group sends you like this video of XYZ and you don't know if it's real, they can check for you. So don't trust everything that you receive mm. on WhatsApp, Facebook, social media. I think we all have learned this over the last two years, but it's a really important lesson to reinforce. So definitely go to Africa Tech, find out who they are and ask them to find out if something you've been sent is real. Um, get enough sleep you know <laughs> I'm very sleep deprived at the moment and it's terrifying to know all of how important sleep is for you but really the number one free thing that you can do to take care of your health your stress your well-being your finances your decisions is to get a proper sleep at night we all need between six and eight hours the people who say they need less are just talking nonsense <laughs> don't believe them um, really, really six to eight hours. And you do that by preparing your room, taking your phone out, making it a cool temperature and trying to have a little bit of a routine. Similarly important is take a deep breath. Um, it's free. There's so many free meditations apps. Um, I mentioned two, which I really like called Calm and Headspace. They both do daily free meditations, 10 minutes a day can change your life. So very key. Um, when you are uh, having sex and you're entering into sexual relationships, number one thing to know is about consent, that no is enough and that no looks very different. Um, like, like verbal no is important, obviously, and you should listen to that. But there are many other things that you should do. Like if you notice your partner is being a bit odd, just ask questions. The, the, the analogy that I use that is very overused, but it's just brilliant is the cup of tea. You know, just because someone wanted a cup of tea this afternoon doesn't mean they want a cup of tea now. Just because someone wanted a cup of tea at the beginning of this cup of tea doesn't mean they want to keep drinking it. No one would force anyone to drink a cup of tea. Same mm -hmm. with sex. And no one owes you anything in terms of sexual pleasure except yourself. You know, if you really need to get one off, get one off by yourself. So learn how to masturbate so that you can take care of yourself is another important skill. When it comes to stuff like working, I really think reading the law is beneficial. It can be overwhelming, but I've summarized quite a lot of it. The basic conditions of employment act is your friend, go and read it. Make sure you know whether an employer is asking you to do something fair. Um, yeah, I think when finding place to live, you know, there's, I do like a rental buy. I'm very aware that very few people can afford to buy, but I include a rental buy time uh, sort of checklist. But the main thing is to just go and have a look at a place properly, ask questions, turn mm -hmm. on all the taps, make sure things flash. And, and you know, my, I, want, I can't believe I didn't put this in this book, but please, my friends, measure your windows. Curtain buying is the worst part of adulting for me. <laughs> all windows are different sizes. All curtains are different sizes. Measure your curtains and know which ones you need before you go to the shop. It's traumatic. Oh, my Bye. God. <laughs> okay. I have one more question for you before I turn it over to everyone else, which is that you mentioned that you are quite sleep deprived at the moment. <laughs> and the reason for that, I happen to know, is this incredibly adorable six week old baby, your first. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, what are some things that you hope will have changed about the world by the time he reaches his own young adulthood? <laughs> Practical. I hope that someone invents an AI that can decode babies crying and tell you what they want. <laughs> That would be amazing. Um, but more seriously, I think it would be wonderful if we got rid of the celebration of busyness and this culture mm -hmm. where we think working all the time is the most important thing. I, work is an incredibly important part of my life. It gives me a huge amount of meaning, but I think it can really grind people down. And I think we give too much to companies and not enough to our friends and family and ourselves. And so I hope that that culture is gone and we're a lot more compassionate and we respect people's ability to work without necessarily being present in an office. I think that would be great. And I think that is changing, at least for some types of workers. 
I would really love it if people stopped forwarded, stopped, stopped forwarding nonsense and somehow we got rid of Facebook and went back to actually phoning people on their birthdays and asking them how they are. Happy birthday to my friend Ron, who it is his birthday. <laughs> so, um, I, w- I really think we've lost a lot of connection. Social media is incredible. And I think at the moment I'm on like a 24-hour WhatsApp group with everyone else in my antenatal class who's just had a baby and it's a lifesaver when you're feeling mm-hmm. alone. But we forget, I mean, often you're sitting on your phone trying to talk to someone at the same time and your attention isn't there. So I hope we give our attention back to the people who matter to us. And I hope people stop exploiting labor and just treat the planet a bit more kindly, eat less meat, eat more veggies and that type of stuff. Yeah. And let's hope the world is still here. (laughs) Let's hope that we don't all get mute shortly. (laughs) Okay, we've got three uh, really great questions uh, in at the moment. Please post more if anything else comes up. Uh, so question number one, Jen, uh, this is very useful, I think, for many, many of us. How did you decide when to shift from working for an organization to working for yourself? Yeah. So I was working actually for the government. I worked at Parliament for four years and it was an incredible job as a researcher, very valuable. I mean, Parliament is a really important institution that I also hope is restored to its full power by the time my child is older. Um, And it just wasn't working for me in terms of pursuing more than one interest. So I think what happens is we leave school and we get into a work track and that's the only thing that we're allowed to do for the rest of our life. It's really hard to change careers. And I sort of wanted to do two things. I wanted to be this researcher and talk about gender all the time, but I also wanted to write creatively. Um, And they just were clashing. And so I got Mm -hmm. accepted into this really amazing residency overseas. And I was like, cool, my work, I've been there for four years. They'll give me this time to go. And they didn't. And I was like, oh, this isn't actually going to work trying to, you know, live these two separate lives. And I don't want to give either of them up. And so for me, it was about realizing that I can do multiple things. I want to do multiple things and I can make a a career where I'm able to do those things. It really wasn't lucrative the first year. I'm not going to trick anyone and think I made gazillions of money and, you know, like I suddenly got a bazillion book deals and whatever. It was really hard. And the only reason that I was able to take that leap was because I had been saving. So, you know, buy Sam's book and learn about saving people because you need to save to be an adult. Um, so yeah, I think really that allowed me the, the space to take that leap. Mm. But the thing that made me make the decision was that I didn't only want to be one type of adult. I wanted to be multiple genes. Uh, so I love that. And I just want to kind of build on that with another question, which is um, there's a chapter in the book. I'm just trying to find the title. It is, uh, should I quit my job to pursue my dreams? Which I thought was, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's definitely something that I faced at some point as well. Um you know, one of the pieces of advice that we we give young people when they're in their teens already is, you know, do what you love, follow your passions. But we know that at the same time, that's just not very viable for many young people, especially when they're kind of, you know, getting into their first few jobs. So what are, you, what are your thoughts about, you know, when you, if you're 18, if there's any 18 or 19 year olds listening to this, you know, when you're making those decisions about what to study, what to do, how do you strike that balance between doing something that you love and something that you know will maybe give you more security? Yeah. I mean, it's really, really tough. I went to university with like a plan of what I was going to study and ended up doing something completely different. And the reason that I was able to do that was because I was doing a sort of general BA degree where I could choose multiple subjects. So I would recommend everyone does a BA, but I know some of you are going to get pressure from your parents or from yourselves to do your BCom or something financy, and then you're going to be on that track for life so if that's your passion great I mean who doesn't love a ledger I love a ledger but if if you're doing if you are signing up to study something or you're taking a job because it it's going to make you rich one day just try and work out if being rich is going to make you happy and I think you've got a great section in your book about how much money you need to be happy and how much after that doesn't really help anymore so again mm-hmm. going by Sam's book but So trying to make a list of like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Is it happy or is it rich or is there a way to do both? Um, And so if you can find, perhaps you go and you do that accounting degree. I'm not, I mean, maybe people love their BCom degree and you go and do that, but you say, okay, every year or every five years, I'm going to take another creative course, or I'm going to sign up to these workshops on the weekend, Mm. or I'm going to develop a hobby like I'm going to learn. So I, a few years ago, I decided I'm going to learn to buy the violin after much Christmas wine. I bought a violin on take a lot like the cheapest, most plastic violin you can. And I spent a year learning how to play it. And then I was like, that was enough. I knew I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be like the next violin thing, but my 
work life felt easier to navigate because it wasn't the only thing that was happening for me. Mm. So yeah, pursue your dream if you can. If you think it's going to make you money, I have friends who are incredible artists and musicians and who mm. don't always have a lot of money all of the time, but their heart is happy mm. and that helps a lot um, to survive the brokenness when your heart is happy. <laughs> I love what you're saying though as well about uh, you can be multiple adults, you know? Mm. Like I think, you know, we, so many of us, you, you feel like these questions are so urgent and it's so binary when you're young. Like these are your only two choices. I'll be yeah. a starving artist or be a sellout and there's literally nothing in the middle that's it (laughs) and I love what you're saying about you know you can kind of find your way and you can also be many things at different times as well you know yeah Yeah, and just give yourself the space to change your mind I think uh, you one of your newsletters is someone someone we both know who stopped and decided they didn't want to carry on their career path so they took three short courses Mm. they we saved up, quit their job, took three short courses and chose the one that they liked. That's a way to do it. If you're really feeling like your job is suffocating you, mm. like don't, you shouldn't live a life where your job makes you feel sad all the time. Please everyone, if that's your only thing you take away from this launch, it affects your health. When I left the job that was making me sad, my medical aid costs went so low. I was hardly at the doctor anymore. Like it really gets oh. into your brain. So mm. peace of yourselves free. Love that. Uh, so I think the, the next question is on that on that uh, line, which is how do you tackle burnout when you are in full-time employment? Sure. Burnout is incredibly difficult. So recently it was classified as an illness by the World Health Organization, which I think is a huge step to getting companies to recognize that you know this always available culture is not good for us. Burnout is both mental and physical, and, and there's very little separation for me between those two. And one of the things you can do is try to set better boundaries with your colleagues. So whether that's saying, look, I'm I'm only going to take my email for these hours and then I'm going to concentrate on my work or whether it's saying no to meetings that could be phone calls or phone calls that could be meetings, vice versa. It's about understanding what is expected of you. Um, it's also about if you have a toxic workplace, I think all of us at some point are probably going to work in one of those because of this always busy culture is about saying to yourself what you take home. So if you have a toxic workplace and you know you're going to sit in traffic for an hour to get home, what can you do in that hour that will help you leave some of that yuck feeling behind? And it's whether it's listening to music or just, you know, swearing really loudly as you drive or listening to meditation or going for a walk in your lunch break. All of those things can help to stop the stress and the yuckiness build in your body, which can help Mm -hmm. to avoid burnout in the first place. If you are burnt out, I I know that it's scary for people to admit it, but go to your doctor and get booked off. That's what I ended up doing. And I was booked off for like 10 days and I just slept and rested and it made a difference. It helped to clear my thoughts because when you're stressed, you aren't able to think clearly. When you're not sleeping, you aren't able to think clearly. Mm -hmm. So take the steps to, you know, say what you would say to a friend that you loved is rest, take the time off, go to the doctor. That's what they're there for. Mental health is health. And burnout is mental health. Mm. Sorry, amazing how we can be so compassionate to other people and not to ourselves. With ourselves, we're so hard on ourselves. And and I think it's because we, like one of the unhelpful beliefs that I have from life is, you know, if if I can help, I must help. And often if you, especially working in like the social development sector, it's hard to say, okay, I'm not going to deal with your trauma and I'm going to go home and watch, you know, Netflix and relax. Mm. But if you don't, I mean, there's the fill your cup is, a, is also another like cliche term, but if you don't do things that make you feel energized and rested, mm-hmm. you won't be able to help anyone. And so that's a really important thing to learn. So a question about how that is manifesting, particularly at the moment, which is um, someone says, uh, it's so great that you're tackling the always busy culture. Do you deal with any ideas of how to separate work and home with the new working from home arrangements that so many people find themselves in? And you've got a bit of a head start here because you've been freelancing. So you've, you've been kind of building these skills for a while. I think when people start working from home, one of the first things that they give up is their lunch break. I don't really understand it. If you were at work, everybody would go outside and go and get something to eat, even if it's just for 10 minutes. So um, there's a really cool app. I don't mention it in the book, but it's called Bear Timer. And it's like a little na- a little app that plays nature sounds for 20 minutes. And then after 20 minutes, it makes like a weird whistling and it encourages you to get up from your desk, just stretch your body. Mm. Guys, this will save you thousands and thousands of rands in back pain problems. <laughs> 
stand up and just take a breath and close your eyes and then you can sit right back down again after 10 seconds so that is one thing is just make sure your body is still moving and you're not sitting in a chair get a comfortable chair is another one you can tell i spend lots of money at the chiropractic because it's all physical um but yeah take your breaks if you have other loved ones, so at the moment, my partner and I are trying to navigate him being back at work because patriarchy and paternity leave sucks. Um, and me trying to raise this new human and him trying to help when, when he is able to have a break. It's really difficult because we don't bring our full selves. We don't know how to say in a meeting, you know, I'm so sorry, but I actually just need to step out for five minutes because something in my real life is affecting my ability to be fully present here. And that's going to affect my real life later. Like we don't know how, I was thinking before this, like my son is due to feed sometime in this launch. And I was thinking like, I need to practice saying, I'm sorry, I just need to learn how to quickly breastfeed on camera in case that happens. Like we need to be able to say those things. And some workplaces, it's obviously easier than others. But if you can just be human, mm. uh, that can help. And it can also help other people to say, you know what, I stepped really terribly and I feel like my brain isn't working. I'm sorry. Can I, can I get back to you on that? Mm. Is a helpful thing to learn we have to practice letting people down and so that we can take care of ourselves amazing I think because also your vulnerability in doing that is also an invitation to other people Ooh. who actually need that too you know like you breastfeeding your baby yeah. you know on workouts it's also it helps everybody you know because yeah, yeah these things these things ricochet out I love that one, one last thought is you know if your colleague is for example sending you mails at 2 a.m there's no pressure for you to respond that colleague might be doing that because that's how they can navigate their family responsibilities and their life that doesn't mean you must now also be so don't assume that they're working harder than you perhaps they're just working differently so maybe having a healthy conversation with your team and just saying like what is everyone's hours how are they working out how can we take care of each other how can we say hey i noticed that you were 3 a.m emailing again is everything all right so that they can say, actually, I need a day off. And you can give them that space. Like, mm. Just be human. <laughs> be a nice person as much as you can to yourself and others. Is that the, is that, that the, the core thesis yeah. of this book, I think? Yeah. Just be, be nice. don't just be lacquer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> don't be cuck. <laughs> Julie Davies uh, has a great question. She says, how can the life orientation subject at school be improved? Yeah, I mean, as I said, <laughs> disclaimer, I haven't been at school for 20 years, so I'm not really sure what they are teaching. I know that there's limited stuff around sexual health and sexual wellness, in particular around things like consent. So I do think that talking about that is very important, taking the shame out of seeking sexual health. So like going to a clinic, for example, and getting the pill or contraception. Mm -hmm. We should be talking about exactly how to do that. You shouldn't have to learn, you know, when you get to you know, be an adult and you live there by yourself for the first day. So very important around contraception, around sexual health, around consent. And very, very important. And other things I think that we could learn a bit more about is about saving, about how to take care of our money, how to make sure that we paid for the labor that we give and what the rules are about that. Because I think, you know, when I was away, when all I did all of those bullshit waitressing jobs, there wasn't any obligation on any of those places to pay an hourly rate. It was all on tips. They made tons of money off of our labor and we made like sometimes nothing depended on the, the people we were serving, which is completely unethical. Mm. So stuff around how to say, you know, this isn't fair or to, help other people talk to each other about fair working conditions would be super valuable. Mm. Um, we all choose our subjects so young in our life. It actually, it blows my mind how early we're supposed to do that. So it would be great if life orientation from a really young age talked about sort of career paths, like how to get to here. If you think you want to be this, is there only one way to get there? And there often isn't. So you could study a whole bunch of stuff and then change track. Often when I see people from high school or from university on LinkedIn, I'm like, whoa, you weren't studying that. How did you get to be doing, you know, that job? And it's because the, the path isn't strict. So just mm. letting people know that there's multiple routes to get to being the person that you want to be doing the work that you want to do would be hugely valuable. And, and you are talking about me your mental health. I, I hope mm. that schools are teaching this now because we're, we're all on social media. Young people are on social media way more than me. Um, and it's sometimes a very scary place, even though it can build community, it can also make you feel like your life isn't good enough. Um, so how to understand like media literacy would be hugely mm. valuable. How to identify when something's real or not, fake news, and how to say, okay, I need to tap off. Like how mm. to set boundaries with your social media use. 
one of the things you talk about in that section of the book is you talk about how by most objective metrics, our, you know, human life has gotten better over the last century and yet rates of anxiety and depression have gotten worse and that disconnect, you know, which must have something to do with the, the media world that we have bathed in, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's unnatural to always know how terrible things are. There's never been a point in history before social media where we were burdened with that with like knowing, you know, how many mistakes, you know, <laughs> parenting, for example, how many mistakes I could be making right now. I'm aware of all of them. Most people were just stumbling through and doing their best and trying to focus on what they felt was nice mm. and natural. Mm. Same with the news cycle. It's unnatural that we are bombarded with it all day long. When I first started studying at university, I started with journalism, didn't stick with it. But we used to get the, the newspapers once a week and sit and plow through them. And then we would come the next week and talk about, you know, geopolitics. Now you get the newspaper like 10, every 10 minutes, there's something new. It's really overwhelming. And you have to, you know, as I have my email policy, have a news policy where you say, say I'm going to dedicate one hour to learning how cuck everything is and mm. make sure that you give that same amount of time to doing something lovely, like being and enjoying your life so that you're able to balance your energy. Mm. It's, it's hugely overwhelming to know everything all the time. I, I, you just have to tap off sometimes. I, totally. I think we also forget that these businesses are literally designed to be addictive, you know, and yeah. we're all addicts. It's this terrible yeah. dopamine drug that we're all addicted to. Yeah. You can set limits on your phone as well. Like the app limits, so you, you can also do it on your computers to set that you can only use certain programs, certain amount of time a day, and then they turn off and you can't use them until the next day. Mm. And that type of you know self-regulation that just asks you and sign out so we we signed into everything all the time because it's easier also because i can never remember my password <laughs> anything like passwords and adulting but we signed into everything so it's easy to just click back to twitter or click back to instagram but if you sign out and then you have to sign back in the next time you have the impulse to click you like you're able to take a breath and be like do i really want to do this now mm. you know why have i found out that really helps me at least yeah um another question does adulting ever get easier <laughs> I mean yeah I guess it does because you you have the experience that you've had to build on and the decision making I don't think it get, gets any easier there's always more decisions you always have to buy groceries and wash your bed covers and boring stuff like that like that type of stuff never goes away but what you can make what can make things easier is managing your own energy um, I think I've talked a lot about investing in things that give you pleasure and I'm not, by no means a hedonist here, but I think those type of like small activities every day that allow you to feel like a whole human can allow you to adult better sleeping, can allow you to make better decisions about everything, how you eat, how you live your life, how emotional you're feeling, you know, breathing can help you to be a healthier person. So, so in some respects, like learning a few tricks, that's why I have the cheat sheets in the book is learning a few tricks can help you get through the day easier. Mm. And the most important thing that I've learned to, to, as being an adult is just sometimes being able to say, I'm so sorry, but I actually can't. And that's hard when you're a person who wants everyone else to be happy or who wants to deliver or is a perfectionist or a high achiever to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm sorry, I'm going to let you down. And for being able to accept that that's okay, you don't have to carry on when you're not able to is really important. And that makes that also easier for me. I adore that. My favorite kind of like Instagram quote that I cite all the time is you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. And I love this as a mantra for adulthood is yeah. kind of actually just remembering what's important to you and yeah. building boundaries and having compassion. I think these are the themes that have come up. That's yeah. great. Uh, we've got another question. Um, are there any resources going into more details on areas that you recommend, or is there anywhere that you can see any gaping holes that need to be filled uh, by other writers like you? Yeah, I mean, I'm always all for other people writing books that are way better than mine and that have more information because I think, as you said, this book is very broad because I wanted to cover quite a lot of things. So I definitely think there's more room for, for media literacy. Like I'd love to see a how-to guide for all of us on like, is this real? Does this add value to my life? Is this like, as you say, Instagram quote from someone else telling me about X, Y, Z, is it true? Like, do I have time to go and research that? Most of us don't have time to research everything we see on the mm -hmm. internet. So something like that would be hugely valuable and I think would, would add a lot to our, our ability to navigate. Um, yeah, I think just 
I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over, but take care of yourselves. And if people were willing to write books about the different ways to do that, I would love to buy them. You know, um, one of the things that I don't talk much, I only touch on because I think it is uh, very complex for many people is about how we eat and, and what, um, what that impact, the impact of how we eat is on the planet. So I've been a vegetarian for over a decade now and I did it because I care about the animals and I am an emotional human being, but I also did it because I know that the impact we're having on the planet by the way that we eat and how much meat we consume and how much dairy we consume is huge. And it's not, we can't recover from the species that get lost because we wanted to eat a hamburger. And I'm not going to beat anyone. Everyone must make the choices that are right for them. That's why I give other ways that you can manage your climate impact, but it is a hugely important one that I could ask people to consider and i'd love to read a book about the south african you know meat industry and dairy industry and and what impact it has and how we could do a bit better with the way that we eat Mm. I mean, you do have pages and pages at the end of the book. I'm actually just kind of flipping through now to see how many, which recommend other resources. Um, and you recommend, so you've got a section, extra resources, and you've got uh, videos, which I appreciate as well, um, as well as other books that you suggest. Um, do you have, are they collected online anywhere as well? Any kind of like all the links and, and amazing suggestions that you bring up in the book? In development. <laughs> okay. When my brain returns to full functioning, it is something that I want to do because there were lots that I just couldn't include. But if you're looking for something to start off, I would really recommend going to School of Life, which I've already mentioned. They have stuff like about who philosophers are, but they have stuff about one of the really funny ones is why you'll marry the wrong person as a video. They're cute little animations, they're short. Um, and they help you to feel like everyone else is going through this shit as well. And we will survive if we take care of ourselves and each other. And um, so I, that would be where I would start as an extra resource. Brilliant. Um, Jen, it's been so lovely chatting. Um, I, this is a book that I am excited to see on thousands and thousands and thousands of bookshelves um, all around the country. It honestly... <laughs> It, it, like I say, I'm, I'm well into my 30s, so I think I'm, I'm a bit far beyond your kind of core target market, but there were still so many nuggets in this book that I have taken away that have really made my life better. So thank you. Um, thanks also to Quella Books and to Exclusive Books for hosting us today. Uh, just a reminder that uh, the book is available on the website if you don't want to go into the shop or it's if any exclusive books uh you can find your local one um yeah and if you have any other questions for jen where is the best place for people to get hold of you yeah so i'm on twitter i'm at jen underscore thorpe you can find me there i also do have a website which i plan to share extra uh, links on uh, when my brain is functioning so you can find me there um and i'm on instagram as jen thorpe creates which is mostly talking about my book now and weird little doodles that i do I'm totally open to people contacting me. My email address is on my website. Please reach out. Like I might not reply straight away as we know, <laughs> but I'll do my best to help you if I can. Uh, yeah. Thank you everyone. And good night.